the Jewish trial of Jesus along with the Roman trial of Jesus are used by him to reveal certain things about him. We saw as we studied the Jewish trials last week that Jesus had never said in his ministry, I am God. And sometimes people use that to be able to say to you, well, Jesus isn't God. He never said he was God. And there's a reason for that because the people that say they're God are usually crazy. And so no one says, I am God. If you are really God in the flesh, you have to wait until people start recognizing it. And when they did recognize it, Jesus affirmed that he was God. And so Caiaphas said to him in the trial, the Jewish trial, I adjure you in the name of the living God. Are you the son of God? And Jesus said, it is as you say. And he tore his clothes and said, blasphemy. It was there in the depths of the beating, of the mocking, of the Jewish trial, that the glory of Jesus being God came forward. Now you might say, well, he said he was the son of God, not God. Hebrews chapter one, God says to his son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The Bible tells us, that's not the only place, by the way, the Bible tells us the son of God is God himself. Now, the Roman trial is not much different. There are three phases that are to it, and there's going to be a big reveal. We're going to learn something about Jesus in this uh, trial with Pilate. Jesus is going to use it to speak of his Christology. That's a theological term. There's high Christology. You see Jesus as God. You see him as the son of God. You see him as the king of kings. And there's low Christology that some believe that the New Testament had a lower Christology in the early days and it went to a higher Christology. It's not true. Even in the Gospels, even here in the trial, the trial of Pilate, the, those who bring Jesus, uh, Jesus to Pilate say, he says he's the Messiah, which is a king. That's the way the Jews say it. They would never say king of the Jews. The Jews say he's a Messiah, a king. And then Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? That's the way the Romans would say it. And this is what Pilate's interested in. The other accusations don't bother him. But is he an insurrectionist? Is he trying to raise people up and say, I am a king and we are going to fight against Rome? That's what Pilate is interested in. Now, there's one more thing that we have to deal with here as we look at this. And that is the, the way that the world wants to present what happened here with Pilate. You are watching around Christmas time or Easter, the Discovery Channel, or you're flipping through and you see on the History Channel, there is a, 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 a program on Pilate, the life of Pilate, what we know and what we learn. And so you click on it. You, you know that Pilate was the one who condemned Jesus to death. So you want to hear about Pilate's life. And pretty soon you start hearing things like, well, we know that the Pilate of the Bible is not the, pi the Pilate of history, which right away, you know, you're in trouble because the Bible is history. It is a historical account. And it, it, was take, it took place in geographical places. The fact that it is a religious book doesn't mean it's not historical. But what they mean is Josephus told us things about Pilate. Philo, the historian, another Jewish historian, told us things about Pilate. Tatticus, a Roman historian, told us things about Pilate. And they paint a different picture than Pilate. 
Here's what they say. That Pilate, according to the Bible, is weak and vacillating and not confident and is afraid to shed blood. That's the, who they say is the Pilate of the Bible. And that Philo, Josephus, and Tatticus all tell us that Pilate was competent. And in fact, they'll use the word extremely competent. Here there are these scholars on this show. Pilate was extremely competent. Uh, he wasn't afraid to shed blood. Uh, he was decisive in his actions. He's not the guy that we see in the Bible. So before we're done today, as we begin to look at what the Bible has to say about Pilate, I want to point out to you the source of the conflict. Pilate did not want to crucify Jesus. It's very clear. But why? We want to ask that question first of all. Why didn't he want to crucify Jesus? Was it because he thought that Jesus was innocent? And, and he was like, I'm such a righteous, upright dude that I have to... I can't kill an innocent man. Was that Pilate or was it something else? And I'll wait to show you what that something else might be here in a moment. All right. So those are the two things that we're going to look at. The reveal of Jesus as king and the difference between Pilate in the Bible and the Pilate of other historical writers. And if it, there really is a difference. So in Luke 23, verses one through seven, we have the first part of the Jewish trial. There'll be three of them. He stands before Pilate. He's sent to Herod. He comes back before Pilate. When he comes back before Pilate, Pilate will be in a corner. He will be trapped. We'll see this next week. There's nothing else that he can do. So he washes his hands and says, I am innocent of this man's blood. And he condemns him to death. By the way, washing your hands and saying, I am innocent, I'm innocent of this man's blood and then condemning them to death makes you not innocent of that man's blood. <laughs> despite your dramatic statement. So that's what we're going to see next week. So here we have the religious leaders had arrested him, tried him in the middle of the night, which is illegal, interrogated him, which was Ill is illegal. Today, you, you have a right not to be interrogated. In their day, you couldn't interrogate people. If you get arrested, and I hope you don't, but if you do, you're going to hear them say, you have the right to remain silent. And anything you say can be used against you in a court of law. Right there, because you've been arrested and you hear your rights, you should never say anything else. Why would you? Anything I say can be used against me in a court of law. You don't know where it's going. What you should say is, could I get a lawyer, please? I don't want to say anything without a lawyer because they understand it. But our law understands that you could be tricked. Our law understands that you have the right to not incriminate yourself. They had the same law, only you couldn't do it. You could not ask the prisoner anything. And that is why when Caiaphas and Annas say to him, what about your teachings and what about your disciples? Jesus says, I haven't done anything in, in, in private. I've done anything in public. You go ask them what I said. He's kind of giving it back to him. He's like, what you're doing is not legal. You cannot be interrogating me. So after interrogating him, they finally get up in the morning and bring him to Pilate very early. We think it's so early they get him out of bed. Here's why. Because somehow his wife knows about Jesus. So maybe his wife was woken up with them. Maybe they were both up. Maybe she got up to, to who knows what. And maybe she saw Jesus and went back to bed. But a little bit later on, and we'll see this next week, she comes in and says, have nothing to do with this innocent man. 
for I have suffered much in a dream about him. So after Jesus had been brought to them, she had a dream about him. And so she comes back and tells Pilate not to have anything to do with them, which could lead to one of the reasons Pilate is not wanting to crucify Jesus. So here's what it says. Verse one, then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. The whole multitude of them. This would be the chief priest. This would be the Sanhedrin. The whole multitude of them. So Pilate gets up in the morning. He hears that they've got a prisoner and the chief priest and the Sanhedrin are out front. These are important people that Pilate has to meet with. I don't think he's happy about it. And it says, and now here it says, and they began to accuse him. Now this is the short story. Luke gives us the abbreviated story. John gives us the detailed story. We, we're going to read the detailed account because we need to know why Pilate will say here by verse four, I find no fault in him. He listens to the accusation. He says, are you a king of the Jews? Uh, he says, I, it is as you say. Pilate says, I don't find any fault in him. And we go, what are we missing? That's too quick. And it is because he's given the short story. I have a friend of mine who was a, a flight instructor in the Air Force. I think it was the Air Force. And he was invited by some of his students to go out to Iraq and to fly a sortie. So he joined them and he flew a sortie and he was shot down. There was a land to air missile that hit his plane. It's the kind that explodes right before it hits it and sends tumbling rods throughout the plane, just tears the plane apart. And it miraculously didn't hit him and it left him be able to fly. And he goes into this when, when his wife was like, tell the story of when you were shot down. And then we're all like, what? And she's like, tell him. And he's like, no, I don't want to tell him. And she's like, tell him. She goes, oh, OK, hold on. So he goes away and he comes back with the nose of the plane. I think it was an, an F-16, F-17. Sorry if I said it wrong. And he puts it down on the table. And then he tells us this story. We're all on the edge of our seats listening to how he immediately his training kicked in and he dropped the load. Not that he dropped the bombs places, but unarmed. He dropped the load, just what you're supposed to do when you get hit. And then he crash landed the plane. And it's a dramatic story. It took him about an hour to tell it. Every little detail. A couple days later, I'm on the golf course with him. And somebody says, I heard you got shot down over Iraq. What happened? And he tells him a two minute story. I'm like, that could have been last night when we had this really long story. Was he honest in both stories? Yes. So when the Bible gives us the abbreviated version, it's not in any way lying. It's just leaving out details and telling us the abbreviated story. So here we have the abbreviated account in Luke, and then we're going to look at the account in John. But first, let's deal with what Pilate gets interested in. Then the whole multitude arose, led him to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying three things. We found this fellow perverting the nations. If you have the ESV or the NIV in front of you, it's going to say, we, we found this man misleading the nations. So they're accusing him of giving false information and misleading the nations, which we know isn't true. Then he said, then they say, and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. And we know this is an outright lie. They tried to trap him to get him to say not to pay taxes to Caesar. But Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and render to God the things that are God's. And then they say, saying he himself is the Christ, which is the Messiah, a king. Now, that's the part that resonates with Pilate. 
He doesn't care about the paying taxes because it really isn't true. He doesn't care, and he might if he thought it were true, but he doesn't care about misleading the Jewish people. But this is the Messiah King. And then he responds, and here's the Jewish way in which that would be said. The Jews, or the Roman way, the Jews would never say it this way. Are you the King of the Jews? And he answered and said, it is as you say. Then we go to verse four. So Pilate said to the chief priest in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. And right away we're like, well, well that was pretty quick. How'd that happen so fast? Well, let's first of all consider that he is the king of the Jews. Jesus said, I am the king of the Jews. It's the great reveal in the Roman trial. And he is the king. Now, what does that mean? He's the king of the Jews. Well, Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy and, and gave him a statement about this about him saying to Pilate that he was the king of the Jews. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy 6, 13 through 15. I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. So he calls this, I am the king of the Jews, the good confession. He says that you keep the commandment without spot, blameless until the Lord Christ appears, which he will manifest in his own time, meaning he's going to come in his own time. You just hang on. But here goes. This is the good confession before Pilate. He who is blessed, who is the blessed and only potentate. The word potentate means sovereign or royal. This good confession before Pilate that he is the only sovereign, that he is the only potentate. He is really the only king. Every other king, every other president, every prime minister, everyone with leadership is under the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, the Bible says, raises up kings and brings them down. God's the one who puts them in power, even evil kings. And you say, well, why would God raise up evil men to be in power? Because God judges the nations by bringing evil men to power. God's the one who's doing it. And so it says, he who is blessed and, the, and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the king who is over every other king. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it said of our king to us, what our king does, he's our king. Think of it in, think of it in a very English setting. He is a righteous, good king on the throne and we are his subjects. And here's what it says about us. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Our king went on a mission to suffer and die the brutal scourging and death so that we could have our sins forgiven and we could be made right with the living God. In Mark 1, 14 and 15, Jesus makes it known right away in the very beginning of his ministry that he's preaching about the kingdom. He's a king coming to bring his kingdom. This is the very first thing we find him saying in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to the Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. 
Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He is our king, but we become part of that kingdom by becoming a child of his. This, there's, there's many Old Testament passages. I don't have time to read all of them that would be significant to this concept of him being a king, but I want to read you this one because you're going to get it almost right away. You're going to go, that sounds familiar. Then you're going to go, ah, I know when that happened. So this is an Old Testament statement that is a prophecy of a New Testament event. While I read it, see how long it takes you to get it. This is Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. How many of you got it before it got to donkey? Few? All right. A colt of a foal of a donkey. So this is him riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He is the king and they, they, they lift him up as the king. He is the king of Jerusalem. He is our king and he's coming on this mission to save you and me. When Jesus affirms that he is the king of the Jews, he is affirming his fulfillment of scripture, his messiahship and his royalty. And we are his subjects, those of us who are believers who have sworn fealty to him. I'm putting this in very English terms. They would go to their king and they would bow before them and they would swear fealty, which means I'll die for you, I'll live for you, whatever you say I'll do, that's our king. We have sworn our lives to him and we will not defile that. We will live for him because he is our king. It's a powerful reveal. Now let's go on and look at the longer story here. I just want to read this to you. It's 10 verses. So when I say longer, don't get like scared. It's going to take just a little while to go through it. And then we want to take a look at Philo and Josephus and what these other guys said about, about Pilate and see whether or not the Discovery Channel statement that the, that the, the apostles, remember the gospels were written by the apostles. That's the whole New Testament is connected to the apostles. People ask, how did we get our canon of scripture? Dan Brown said that we picked and chose books out of it. No, they were all connected to the apostles. That's how they were received and accepted. They came from the apostles. And so the apostles wrote the gospels. The book of Mark was, was got his information from Peter. Luke got his information from Paul. Matthew and John were apostles. And the Discovery Channel and the History Channel say that they wrote out what they wrote about Pilate in a mischievous way to create anti-Semitism so Jews would be attacked. That's what they say. Like as if John was sitting there going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really make, hate, make people hate the Jews. That's why I'm writing this. Now that's what they say. Now let's go ahead and look at John 18. This is the long story. I'll go through this as quick as I can. Verse 28. And then you're going to see much more details here as to what happens and why Pilate says, I find no I find no fault in him. It's the same account. This is the long story. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. Now we learn that the Praetorium is where soldiers were at. Now we learn that Pilate was staying at the Praetorium. And it was early, but they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled that they might not be able to eat the Passover. They're bearing false witness. What's one breaking one of the Ten Commandments? They want to murder a man and they're worried if they go into a Gentile's home 
they won't be able to keep the Passover. There's such hypocrisy. And this is legalism as well. When we become legalistic, we think if I do this little list of things I've got, doesn't matter what else I do, I'm right with God. That's the danger of legalism. Uh, you, you make your own little rules. I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do. <laughs> now, you might be greatly mistreating someone in your life, and you're like, that doesn't matter. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls who do. I'm okay. That's them. They're like, we're going to murder this guy, we're going to lie about this guy, but we're not going into a Gentile's house. What hypocrisy and, what, and the danger of legalism. Pilate, it says, then went out to them. Now, Pilate gets woke up early in the morning. The Sanhedrin are there. He's like, bring them in. And they're like, we aren't going in. Already, I see Pilate being upset with the religious leaders. I think this sets one of the first tones. It's not the only tone as we're going to see, but one of the first tones for him to not want to do what the leaders want him to do. He walks out to them. He's over them, but they won't come in. So he walks out to them. So he says, um, verse 29, Pilate then went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Right to the point. They answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Right away, they're combative. Instead of saying what there is, they're like, he's an evildoer, we're bringing him to you. Otherwise, we wouldn't bring him to you. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. You're not going to tell me what it is. You judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. That is, Jesus has to die on a tree. The Bible says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve ate of the tree, which caused us to fall into sin. The new Adam, the one without a sin nature, will die on a tree that we could be redeemed to him forever. It is, it is necessary for him to be crucified. And we have Psalms 22, which is a crucifixion that talks about it. In verse 33, it says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now we know a little bit more information. He's actually brought him in by, into the praetorium. They're not necessarily by themselves, but the religious leaders aren't there. Jesus answered and said to him, are you speaking of yourself or do others tell you this concerning me? Jesus is like, are you interested in this? Pilate said, am I a Jew? Now, Pilate doesn't like Jews. This becomes evident when you look at the other accounts. And Pilate is not afraid to shed blood. Pilate's not, not wanting to kill Jesus because Jesus is a nice guy and look at this Jewish guy, I really like him and look, he's innocent and I don't want to shed his blood. He just doesn't want to do what the religious leaders want to do. That's the conflict. And so he says to him, am I Jew? You can hear his disdain. Now, remember, the Discovery Channel, other writers are trying to, to slander the Gospels that they are anti-Semitic and leading people into being anti-Semitic. Why would they write Pilate saying, am I a Jew? Am I a Jew? He says, your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered, to, uh, delivered by the Jews. But now 
you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world. Now Jesus admits to him, I am a king, but my kingdom isn't of this world. Then he says that I should bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Let's pause for a moment, think about this statement. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. This means that every week when we give an altar call and someone in here goes, I want to give my life to Christ, that they were of the truth. They're truth seeker. They are of the truth. They want to know the tr what the truth is. It's just like the Ethiopian eunuch who, who didn't know what he was reading, but when he heard the gospel, gave his life to Christ and was baptized. It's like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, this Roman centurion who was seeking the truth. And when Peter came and told him the gospel, he received Christ. Jesus is letting us in a little bit here that when you are seeking the truth, when we get into Revelation next Wednesday night, not this coming up Wednesday, but next one, we have the heavenly vision. And it says, and I saw before the throne of God, people from every tongue, tribe and nation around the world, lifting up and praising the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. These are all truth seekers who receive Christ or they respond positively to the light that they have been given. And so Pilate says to him, when Jesus starts talking truth, Pilate, there's a lot of philosophy has been around for a long time. The, the Roman world came after the Greek world, which is the birth of philosophy. And so Pilate said to him, what is truth? Pilate's a trained, educated man. And Pilate's like, I don't want to get into this conversation about truth. What is truth? And when he had said that, he went out to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Now we understand that Jesus has told him, I'm not a problem to you. I'm not going to fight. I have another kingdom. This all has to do with truth. And those who hear the truth, really who are in the truth, will follow me. Verse 5 but they were more fierce. So Pilate says, says to them, I don't find any fault in this man, but they're more fierce. And they say, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all of Judea, beginning in Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man was a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, this is not King Herod, when King Herod died, his kingdom was broken up among his sons. The title of king was taken away from them. Remember, King Herod was the king of the Jews. But the title of king was taken away from them, and they are called tetrarchs. So you have Philip the tetrarch, you have Antipas the tetrarch, and they're ruling over different regions. Herod Antipas is the tetrarch over Galilee. And so when Herod hears this, he's like, we'll send him to him. He's not trying to save Jesus's life here because Herod could very well condemn him. He's just trying to, to not do what the Jews want him to do. So when he's like, oh, he's from Galilee, then take him to Herod. Let Herod hear it. Now, Jesus goes to Herod and we'll cover this next week. But this is the Herod Antipas who killed John the Baptist. This is this is the Herod who has said, to, I want to see Jesus. I want him to come down. I want him to do miracles around me. And Jesus said, go tell that fox. I go here and there. Basically, he's saying, come and get me. And, and when he goes to Herod, he won't say a word to him. He'll talk to Pilate. But there's something different about Herod, and we'll see what that is next week, that Jesus will not even respond. There are some people that there's something about them 
that God will not even respond to them until something changes within them. We'll see that with Herod. And this is where, this is the point at which we end. He's also gonna try to get rid of Jesus by giving them a choice for Barabbas, a criminal, a murderer, a, uh, an insurrectionist, or Jesus. And spoiler alert, they choose Barabbas, all right? And we'll learn a lot from that next week as well. But let's take the, the few minutes that we have left, and we have just a few, but let's take a few minutes we've got left, and let's take a look at the historical pilot by Josephus and Philo, and then let's take a look and, and consider what we know of the biblical Pilate. He did try to not crucify Jesus. He painted himself into a corner, and I'll tell you why that's the case next week. He, at, at a certain point, he did something that he could do nothing else but have Jesus crucified. So we'll see what that is next week. But, but we'll see if, he, if, if indeed there are accusations that the gospel writers are anti-Semitic and trying to encourage other people to be anti-Semitic by freeing the Romans from being charged. And their, their argument is, this is a different guy. The guy we find in other history is different than the one in the Bible that's vacillating and doesn't want to make a commitment, okay? So here we go. So first of all, Josephus tells us that he was the governor of Judea for 10 years under Tiberius, the second emperor. Augustus is the first emperor, Tiberius is the second. Tiberius, uh, Pilate is, gets sworn in or brought in as the governor of Judea in 26 AD through 36 AD. Jesus is crucified and rises from the dead somewhere between 30 and 32 AD. So this is right in the middle of Pilate's reign. And when Pilate came to power, Josephus tells us in the Jewish wars and the antiquity of the Jews, he gives two different accounts of this, that Pilate immediately offended the Jews by moving imperial standards with the image of Caesar into Jerusalem. So the first thing Pilate does when he becomes governor is to bring in the imperial standards. Those are the posts that you see with the, with the eagle on top of it, and it had Tiberius's face on it. That's what Josephus tells us. Do you know what the first and second commandments are? Not having any other God before you and not making any graven images. And now you have a graven image of Tiberius and there's emperor worship. Pilate builds a Tiberium, which is a temple to Tiberius to worship him as God in Caesarea by the sea in Israel. And now he brings in the standards into Jerusalem that have the Roman eagle on it and the face of Tiberius, a God to the Romans. The Romans are, the, the Jews are so upset by it that they go to Pilate's house. He does this while he's not in Jerusalem, but he's in Caesarea by the sea. They go to his house and they surround his house. It's, it's like the poor justices of the Supreme Court that had protesters outside of their house. It was like reenacting that. And so Pilate decides to call a meeting with them. Meet me in the theater. So they all go down to the theater. By the way, if you go to Israel, you, you're going to go to Caesarea by the sea and you'll go to that theater. And when he goes into the theater, he then brings in his Roman soldiers and surrounds the crowd and they draw their sword. And he says, you either leave or I will kill you. But they laid down on the ground and they bore their necks. They put their hands away and stuck their necks out. And they said, we would rather die than have you defile Jerusalem. And Pilate backed down. He took the standards out of Jerusalem rather than shedding the blood of these men. 
You think he did it because he didn't because he liked them? You think that they just didn't create a problem between him and Jewish people? You think anti-Semitism didn't rise up in Pilate's heart this very first event? You think he was happy to have to take the image of his God, Tiberius, out of Jerusalem? But he did it. Why? Because he was pragmatic. Because he realized, if I start my reign as the governor of Judea by slaughtering a bunch of Jews in Caesarea, I'm not going to be here very long. They want taxes from these people. They take over territories so they can take taxes from them. They do not take over territories just so they can expand the territory of Roman rule. It take, if you live in Rome, you are eating for free. Your life is free if you are in Rome. They have to get money from the outlying provinces to pay for food in Rome. And so Pilate knows, I can't kill these people. So he lets them go and he removes the standard. Does this sound like the Pilate that they're trying to show as competent, as uber competent, as not vacillating? He vacillated right there. Now there's another event that takes place. It's very similar. And we're told about this by Philo. Philo was another Jewish historian in a writing called the uh, Embassy, Embassy of Gaius. It's uh, Embassy of Gaius 38. And it says this, Pilate offended against the Jewish law by bringing golden shields into Jerusalem. So it's like he didn't learn. He's got these standards. Now he brings golden shields into Jerusalem and placing them in Herod's palace. His son, the sons of Herod the Great petitioned him to remove the shields. These are guys who are Edomites, but they're ruling in these regions. They know the Jewish people and they petition Herod, remove these shields from our palace. Uh, it's like Pilate said, I tried to bring these, these standards in Jerusalem, but I'm going to bring the shields in into um, to Herod's uh, palace. The shields had on them the full name of Tiberius. The full name of Tiberius calls him God. It's like, I don't know. He's a little slow. They don't ever say that. The Bible never says that. But as a leader, where you're, you want to keep peace, the, you know, Poxus Romana, you don't want the, the Roman peace was a big deal to them. And now he, bring, he comes in poking the bear again by bringing these shields in. Herod's sons then threatened to petition the emperor. Herod's son said, we're going to go to Tiberias. An action which Pilate feared, Philo says, would expose the crimes he had committed in office. Philo had written of other crimes Pilate had committed. He did not prevent their petition. Tiberius received the petition and angrily reprimanded Pilate. He got a reprimand from Tiberius himself. Get the shields out of there. And Pilate removed them. We're going to see this next week where the Jews say to, to, to Pilate, if you don't act on someone claiming to be a king, you are no friend of Caesar. He's already been turned into Caesar by Herod's sons. And now they're threatening to go to Caesar. Now we understand why that would have something to Pilate. He's already been reprimanded by Tiberius. The last thing he needs is somebody else going to him saying, there's this guy who claims to be a king. Pilate won't take care of it because Tiberius has already sided with Herod's sons instead of Pilate. We begin to see this is not as clear cut as what they would like you to think when you're watching the Discovery Channel. Oh, Pilate's competent. He's not vacillating. Does that sound like a guy who didn't vacillate? Now he vacillated, but he had to. Why? 
the emperor, who is his god, because he worships Tiberius, told him, get angrily, get them out of there. Now, there's a couple more incidents we should know about. There was another time where he took money from the temple treasury to build an aqueduct into Jerusalem. He figured, this is for them. I'm going to use their money. They, they rioted. And so now he's learned a little bit. Rather than sending people in with swords and threatening them, he sends his men in with clubs and dressed in normal clothes that look like they are a part of the crowd that riots. And when people start rioting, they pick out the, the leaders, the ones who are egging it on, and they club them to death. So Pilate demands that they would be killed. Now they say this proves that Pilate is bloodthirsty and would have no problem killing Jesus. And I say, yeah, it does prove that he was bloodthirsty, but it also proves he doesn't have a problem killing people. So it's not because he doesn't want to kill Jesus that he doesn't want to kill him. It's he's standing against these Jewish leaders that he's had these conflicts with forever. In fact, the more I read this, the more this is exactly like the Pilate that the Bible describes. Now, one more, this is how Pilate was removed. Pilate was removed in 36 and he was removed. He had his command taken away from him. There was a rebellion of Samaritans by Mount Gerizim. You remember that Jesus had talked to the woman at the well in Samaria. She was a Samaritan. And that she said to him, we worship on Mount Gerizim. You worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, basically, you guys are wrong. And the day is coming when men will worship him in spirit and truth. So it was in that area. There was an uprising of Samaritans. And you can, you can read uh, Josephus' Antiquity of the Jews. If you've got anything, you're taking notes, 18.4-1 and 2. And you can read this account. So they're rioting for several reasons. And Pilate goes in and, and slaughters them. Again, he's not afraid to kill Samaritans. He's not afraid to kill Jews. He, he is a bloodthirsty man. There's no doubt about it. And the Samaritans complain to the governor of Syria. The governor of Syria is a contemporary of Pilate, the governor of Judea. And so the governor of Syria turns him into Tiberius for slaughtering these Samaritans. And Tiberius commands him to go back to Jerusalem. Let me go back to Rome. On the way, Tiberius dies. And that's the last thing we ever hear about Pilate. Now, there's all kinds of apocryphal stories about him, that he became a Christian, that he killed himself, that he wrote an account of uh, the action of Jesus, that he believed that Jesus, those are all apocrypha. By that point, we don't know what's true and what's not true. These, these apocrypha accounts are written 100 years later, 150 years later. These accounts by Philo and Josephus are contemporaries of Pilate. So they're writing at the same time that Pilate is alive. So we give them weight historically and these apocrypha stories because they're written in different places and they're written in Coptic and they're written hundreds of years later. We don't give weight to those. So we don't know what happened to Pilate. We just don't know what happened to him. But I want to ask you, does anything that I went over and you can go and do this research for yourself. I promise you, I'm not picking and choosing here. Go and look for yourself. These are the accounts that are mentioned. Does any of that sound different than the Pilate who eventually condemns Jesus? It's the same. The key point is the conflict with the religious leaders, which he started when he brought the standards in, which continued when he brought the shields in, which now when he has to walk out of his praetorium, he's like, 
What are your charges against this guy? He has no problem killing Jews and he would have no problem killing Jesus. Now I have three points in closing. Number one, Jesus is the only sovereign and everyone will answer to him. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and everyone will bow before him and answer to him. Just like every subject of a king was subject to their king. Didn't matter who you were or where you lived in the kingdom, you were subject to him and you will one day stand before him, the Bible says. In fact, the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Whether they know him or not, whether they're going to heaven or not. Now, number two, don't let your Christianity be like the religious leaders. This is the danger of legalism. That you think because you got one part of your life right. I went to church on Sunday morning. Doesn't matter that I embezzle some money from my work. I went to church. That's legalism. You think I go to church, that makes everything okay. Don't let your Christianity be like that. Let there be integrity all the way through your walk with Christ. You are an ambassador, a representative of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It has nothing to do with legalism. It has everything to do with you being right with your King, knowing him, walking with him, being right with him. Don't let your Christianity be like the religion of these religious leaders. Number three, don't believe everything you hear on the Discovery or History Channel. <laughs> because even though they are scholars that they are interviewing, they seem to have their own slant, the own things that they want to say. Do you think that the apostles, as they were writing down, and by the way, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul quotes Luke when he says, I give to you what I've received, that Jesus gathered us together, his disciples together at that night, and he took the cup and he took the bread. That's Luke. So that's 20 years after the resurrection of Christ. 25 years, maybe, after the resurrection of Christ. It was written in 55. So you think the apostles wanted to slander the Jewish leadership and Pilate in order to bring anti-Semitism? You think that's what the, Jew, the, religious, the, the apostles were concerned about when they were writing the Gospels? And anti-Semitism was already around the world. Pete, if you are Jewish and you're here today, then you know that people have hated the Jewish people for hundreds of years. I'm going to give you the secular reason why they think that happened. So secular, the people who are secular, who are not, not following God, believe that Jews left Israel and were dispersed by the Assyrians, first of all, by the Babylonians after that, and by the Romans after that. And they were dispersed around the world and they wouldn't let go of their own culture. So they kept their distinct identity wherever they went. And this is because God wanted them to. God wanted the Messiah to come out of the Jewish people and then he wants to regather them, is what the Bible says, and he wants to restore them. He regather them in Israel and restore them. I think we're seeing that take place in our day. Now, they say it's because they were their own people amidst other people and wouldn't assimilate. And so people will naturally hate somebody who's different than them. And so because they wouldn't assimilate, there was hatred among those who were Jewish. Maybe, probably in, in some cases. But I think there's actually something demonic about anti, being anti-Semitic. 
the Jewish people, God called them my people. They're the people of God, his children, the children of Israel. And out of them would come one who would bless all nations. That would be the Messiah. And that God was not done with Israel, but was going to continue to work with Israel. And so I think it's demonic. And anti-Semitism is growing today. And in church history, and this is to our shame, remember, we have attached to us as Christians church history. And in church history, anti-Semitism grew. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, wrote early on in his life about Jews in a very positive way, but in the end of his life wrote scathing letters against them. Horrible, awful anti-Semitic letters that caused the Reformed church to hate Jewish people and anti-Semitism was a part of the early Reformed church. To our shame, by the way, as Christians, to our shame that in church history were people who became anti-Semitic. And maybe they did misread these gospels and say, well, Pilate didn't want to kill him, but the Jewish leaders did. Now, let me ask you a question. And, and then this is in closing, I promise. I'm not going to re-preach everything I just did, okay? Just in case you're getting nervous. Like, oh no, here he goes. <laughs> let me ask you a question. In the account of Pilate and the, and the religious leaders, who's responsible for the death of Jesus? Just if you're going to look at that account. Now, I'm not asking in general. I'm not asking about the truth. I'm just asking in that account. Who looks responsible? Do the Jewish people look responsible? No, because it's the leaders that brought him to him. It's not the Jewish people, it's the leaders. It's the Jewish leaders. If anybody is going to be responsible in Israel, it's the Jewish leaders who arrested him, who brought him in, who stirred the people up to ask for Barabbas to be released. Is it the Romans? Well, in, in a way, yeah. They scourged him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They mocked him. They crucified him. But in reality, who is it who killed Jesus? Everyone and no one. What? Everyone and no one. Robert, you're talking nonsense now. Everyone and no one. Why everyone? Because he died for our sins. The Bible said he died once for all. That includes you, even if you're not a Christian. He died on that cross for you. And there is a provision made for your sins to be forgiven if you receive it and accept it. Why do I say no one? Because Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. Jesus, they weren't, he didn't pry his hands. No, 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 while the nails were being driven through. He laid down on that cross and he laid out his hands because he gave his life to us. It wasn't taken from him. He could have stopped it at any moment. So, no, the Jews are not responsible for the death of Jesus. No, the Romans are not responsible for the death of Jesus. How could you, how could you blame Romans today for what, what Pilate and the Romans did 2,000 years ago? How could you blame the Jews of today for what the religious leaders did 2,000 years ago? This stuff doesn't make sense. And it's, it's, a, it's a, a battle of trying to figure out who's guilty that never has to be thought fought. And let me say this, and this time in closing for real, I promise. Let me say this. If you are xenophobic, racist, or anti-Semitic, because a lot of it, there's a lot of anti-Semitism today. If you're any of these, then repent from it now. Because God said there is no Jew and there is no Greek. 
And we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible says, if you kill a man, your life will be taken to you because you killed someone made in the image of God. And no matter the color of their skin, no matter where they live, no matter what their culture is, no matter how different they are than us, they are made in the image of God. Every person on this planet is made in the image of God and deserves that respect for being made in the image of God. And if somehow you've got your justifications, this happened to me, that person did this to me, this happened to me over here, and so I don't like these people then let's, let's put all that aside. Let's repent from that, turn from it. Remove all racism. Remove being anti-Semitic in any way, shape or form. Remove xenophobia, which is the fear of people who are, who are different than us because they're wearing a burqa or something that's different that we are somehow afraid of them or, or racist towards them. Remove all of those things because that's who we're called, what we're called to do under Christ because the gospel is to go to everyone, including everyone that is different than us in any way possible. And if you're full of that, that racism, xenophobia and anti-Semitic, when you walk into heaven, you're gonna look at a group of people from every tribe, tribe tongue and nation in, around the world and you'll be like, how come they're not speaking American? I don't get it, right? Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that we can take time today to consider this account of Pilate and this accusation that has been made, really this, this slander against the apostles, that as they wrote out the accounts of what they knew about Jesus, that they were somehow trying to free the Romans of responsibility and place the responsibility upon the Jewish people so that they would be hated more. And Lord, help Lord, we pray we, for our, our history in the church that has been anti-Semitic. Lord, how horrible. Lord, we, we repent from that. As members of the church, generations later, we repent from that. And we do not want any of that in us at all. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.